and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. What's going on? Well, we have got a very special podcast coming up. I know we do say this every week, don't we? Because we're always yeah, but enthusiastic. But really, this is a very good one. We'll tell you about that in a moment. But um, first, what's going on? Lockdown life latest from Tim Towers. What's happening? So, I think I... I shockingly revealed, well, to your surprise anyway, last week, that I hadn't um, touched a drop of alcohol during lockdown. I'm not sure I believed you, but yeah. Honestly, swear down, it was true. Um, But on Saturday night, um, I ended up... (laughs) Can I reveal how much I drank? uh, Yeah, it's fine. I ended up drinking a bottle of wine and six six cans of cider. There's this thing on Twitter called um, Listening Parties. It's organised by the lead singer from the Charlatans. Sorry to digress. So basically, at the same time, at 10 o'clock every night, you press play on a specific album, and then someone from the band will like talk you through it. So this was Morning Glory. They got someone from Oasis to, to Bonehead to talk about Morning Glory. So me and my mates were all listening to it, and then and then the video call started, and then I was like, I'm not doing this sober. Um, so yeah, and woke up, woke up with the worst hangover on Sunday morning, but I was actually happy because I'd, I'd done something semi-normal. During oh, this that's terrible good, isolation. but that's a good hangover, isn't it? It's worth having yeah. a hangover when you've had a really good night. We yeah, so a bit that more was grown some... up, which was charades on Zoom, which sounds very sensible, but when you include <laughs> a lot of wine involved, it was really fun, really, really fun. Oh, these crazy Not days we live in. But, um, anyway, about our podcast last week, which we thoroughly enjoyed because we are huge admirers of not just the player, but the character of Connor Cody. We might have mentioned it once or twice on this podcast in the past, um, but we've had a lot of good feedback from it. People loved hearing from the captain. We have. It's been universally positive feedback, as you, as you might expect, or from such a great interview. I really, 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 really enjoyed hearing his insight and, you know, he's... He can have a, you can have a laugh with Connor as well. He's um, he's a great ambassador for the club, as we were saying last week. And I've had some really nice tweets saying people just listen to it with a a smile on their face, you know, for for an hour. So um, that was lovely to hear. And also lots of um, feedback for Anna Price as well, who we had on a course and her kind of searing honesty at the situation with with Wolves women um, being denied promotion. So yeah, um, great feedback. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, then uh, then I'd recommend it for sure. Yeah, I mean, we said at the time it was a real shame that Anna was coming on straight after we were having a laugh with Connor Cody. Um, we would love to get her back on. We will do, of course, next season when during the course of play and talk about football and what's going on. But you can't escape the fact that they've had their season null and voided when they were literally on the brink of nailed on promotion at a canter to the third tier. But I've been in touch with Anna this week and, you know, sort of checked how she is and, and what update there was from the club. And she said that she'd had the loveliest letter from Jeff Shee. And I'm going to share it with you because she's been kind enough to share it with us. And I thought it was well worth letting you know this is not a publicity stunt on the basis that it's not been released to the public. It was just that Anna was good enough to let us know about this. And Jeff said, Dear Dan, Steve and all of the Wolves women, players and staff, I write to you to express my deepest sympathies for you all after the FA's decision to bring to an end your season early as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. We've all been watching your results with a keen eye and of course the blow is made more cruel by your excellent form and high chances of gaining promotion as champions this season. 
Regardless of this decision and how much it must hurt at this moment in time, I want you all to know that we're exceedingly proud of what you've achieved this season and thankful for your collective contribution. Not just on the pitch, but off it too. You've made such great progress and have acted as excellent ambassadors for this club throughout. This season might not be remembered for lifting the title, but I hope it will be remembered as the first where you truly felt a part of the Wolves family. You've raised the levels of professionalism in training, you've raised the average attendance at your matches, and you've raised the status of Wolves women amongst our shared fan base. And for that, you should be all very proud. We are one pack and we share your pain at this moment in time. However, I know you'll come back stronger next season and we will, of course, continue to improve the support you receive so you have the best possible chances of success once more. Best wishes, Jeff Shee. It'll mean a lot to those players to, re- to receive that. And as you, the important point you made at the start there is this wasn't a publicity stunt, it's just been sent to the players and... You know, there'll be devastation at what's happened, but that will go, you know, some way to, to repairing that. It's really um really thoughtful thing to do. And the key bit at the end there that they'll continue to support them. So this wasn't a, a one-off. As Anna mentioned, the increased support this season's really, really helped them. But they're in it for the long term, which yeah, there hadn't really been so much of the one club mentality over previous years, but um that really is encouraging going forwards. And you think of the the geography of where Wolverhampton is and the the potential for being able to not quite cherry pick but attract some of the best players in the region it is an exciting time so hopefully something to be positive about now we have to talk about this podcast we are exceptionally excited about it because we have an exclusive interview with a former Wolves owner Steve Morgan coming up we don't usually bother with the word exclusive do we Tim but it's fair to say this certainly does apply here bearing in mind we haven't heard Steve answer questions about his time specifically at the club before. Yeah, I mean, w- w- when he put the club up for sale, um, out of nowhere, really, in September 2016, or no, 15, sorry, it was, when he put the club up for sale initially. I mean, I'll never forget it. Um, I just finished for the day. It was 10 past five. Um, and I was just about to leave to go home. And then the bombshell came out of nowhere that, yeah, Steve um, was going to sell the club. And... From a journalistic point of view, your first question is, you know, why? And I tried many times to try and um, ask Steve that myself, but he didn't. It wasn't really forthcoming, and just didn't want to speak about it. You know, he wanted to move on. And I know he's spoken at bits and bobs at a couple of events here or there about about his time at the club, but other than the long kind of letter he put out when uh, passing the baton on to Foson, he's. He's never really opened up about his time at the club and, and, and why he decided to move on and how he reflects on things now. So this is um, an extremely rare uh, opportunity to do just that. So we'll speak to Steve in just a moment. But first, Tim, obviously no football action to speak of, but there are some real political sensitivities around the game at the moment. They're really heightened given where we are financially. How does that affect Wolves? Yeah, I mean, every every club is, is having constant discussions and dialogue about what to do in terms of wages and and furloughing staff and obviously you're not going to get certainly in terms of the wages issue you're not going to get clubs coming out and giving their individual preferences at this point because what they want to do is get a unanimous decision here I think they want all 20 clubs to say look this is what our players are doing this is what our players are giving up financially this is where the money's going to go most most importantly because people are worried that all this is going to do is just line the pockets of owners and you know not help staff or charities or the NHS etc so 
that's proving difficult. I think people can tell. Uh, it's taken a few days and lots of discussions already and no kind of decision has been reached. So Wolves are involved in all that. Connor Cody's the um, the representative, the player's representative for the club, being the captain, etc. And discussions are ongoing. But certainly the messages from Wolves would be that um, they want to help wherever they can, as you can imagine. And again, at the risk of another Connor Cody loving, you know, if he's the one instigating the players helping then you, you can you know rest assured that, that that they really will be doing all they can and they'll make they'll make gestures and make these public as and when they can um as for furloughing staff there there's no plans to do so as far as i'm aware for the time being um everything's kind of carrying on in the same vein and jeff she again as people can can imagine from the um the work that he did at, at the start of this outbreak and and how organized the club is and um, is very good on the well-being of its staff, as we know. So that won't come as a surprise to many that, that they're trying to keep things as normal. Everybody's been paid as full. Obviously, not everybody is is working 100% of the time because there are there are no matches, right? So certain departments are doing more more or less than others, but everybody's still being paid. And at the moment, there are no plans for any furloughing of staff. We had a question from Tom W. Smith. How are the lads who live in apartments, etc., keeping their skills training up during the lockdown? Are the players booking the regular slots at Compton that we talked about last week? Yeah, so the ones that are still here, and some some have gone. So as people would have seen on social media, Matinho pushing a wheelbarrow up the hill the other day. That that, that clearly wasn't in Bilston. That was um, that was back home in Portugal. And Vinagre is another one who's gone. And I think there are a few more as well. So that's all fine. That's sanctioned or approved of by the club. And... I'd imagine yeah, no that some... being away from their families all this time. No, God, no. I think I think anyone would agree with that. And anyone, you know, we're all living through this. And if you've got the option of flying home and being with your family, or stuck on your own in a flat like some of us are in Stafford, Jackie, then you'd much <laughs> rather um, you'd much rather go back home, right? And Nuno's gone as well. I gather a couple of weeks ago to be with his family. And again, I don't think any there'd be absolutely no criticism of that from anybody because would you want? Would you want your club's manager to be to be on his own in Wolverhampton or, or back home with his family, who he very rarely gets to to spend quality time with? So that's a good thing. I think a lot of them have had to sort out their own private flights to get to get back. Obviously, air travel's all stopped. But anyway, everybody's safe and well. And the ones that are here, um, yeah, do have the option to go to Compton. Um, they can book an appointment and then go and run around the pitch. I should stress that um, they're not coming into contact with any staff while they're there. They book the appointment. Everything's done outdoors, so they don't actually go in the building. Um, and there aren't many people there at all. There are occasional kind of chefs and doctors and security staff, but nobody else is um, is there at the moment. The physios are all checking in on the phones and via various forms of communication to check the players are all okay. And they're all getting the, um, the exercise they need and the... Um, They've all got the equipment they need at home, the gym equipment, the treadmills, etc. So, um, so yeah, they're all they're all doing what they can. Uh, we should also mention Leo Campana, who revealed on Instagram a couple of days ago that he's had the virus, contracted it a couple of weeks ago uh, via family members. Um, but after um, after doing the usual isolation for two weeks, he's he's absolutely fine now, and has made a donation back home in Ecuador to uh, to some of the medical facilities back there. Well, as we'd never have 
chosen this scenario in a hundred million years for very obvious reasons. If you're trying to look at a silver lining, perhaps, could it be that Nuno being home with his wife and kids who maybe he doesn't get to spend too much time with, could that be a positive that he, he's actually getting some downtime and getting chance to refresh his brain and, and have a think and, and look after himself and spend some time with his family? I think that's a good way of looking at it. And Wolves' Wolves's season obviously started very long ago now, you know, um, for, it was, they started earlier than other clubs in mid-July with the Europa League and it's been non-stop ever since and players who play for their countries have, have barely had a week off or many days off at all since um, since last summer and you look at someone like Raul Jimenez who's obviously done magnificently well with the amount of football he's had to play in the last, what, 18 months now, pretty much non-stop. But we saw the benefit of his break when he was given a week off last October. Went to Stonehenge, went to Salisbury Cathedral. Uh, I don't think he'd scored in seven or eight games at that point. And then he, he came back and scored, I think, nine in ten. So we saw the clear correlation between him pushing the reset button and having a bit of time away from football. So I think it will I think it will benefit Wolves. And, you know, without getting too deep, I think it's the same for everybody, really. People are real, uh, getting a different perspective on life and jobs and family and 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 everything and um for Nuno I think it'll definitely be a good thing to uh, to hit the reset button as I say and spend a bit of quality time away from the game it's it's good for all everybody's mental health Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft Beer Discovery Club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave anytime. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52 com forward slash wolves to get your case free and don't forget right now listeners get two extra free beers here's steve morgan hi steve hi jackie thank you so much for coming on the molyneux view podcast we really appreciate it but first of all in these very testing times that we're all in we have to start with mentioning your incredible generosity for giving a million pounds for an initial 12 weeks to charitable courses in your area that otherwise suffering I guess from from the lack of donations just tell us about that what was the thinking there goes back about uh, <clears throat> three weeks ago Jackie we, we um we support about 150 charities at any one time anyway and what we started happening we in the space of about three days we took 60 70 calls from charities who were saying that they were they were getting inundated with uh, extra people needing help but at the same time, it was at the time when they were, they were uh, closing down, was, was starting to come in and the, the London Marathon was cancelled. And um, they, were, they were saying that all our fundraising, normal fundraising is about to disappear. But at the same time, more and more people are wanting things, people with social isolation, food banks, um, children, you know, children in, in, in deprived areas who are 
who relied on school meals, for example, for 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 a healthy meal each day, and um, it's all, all those issues. Uh, and they'll say, but we've got no money. We, well, we all our normal supply is coming to a close. So, so we um, we we got together with the trustees and we said, look, there's there's never ever a better time for us to be out there and supporting uh, the people that need it most. So we came up with the the idea of um, putting a million pound a week, and we're, we we just we, week two is today, and and ironically we we've. we've We've granted over two million, just over two million pounds, so we're bang on target. To um, I think it's about 140 different charities at the moment, and there's a, still a, a pipeline we're dealing with. Changing tack slightly, and to talk about your time at Wolves, Wolves were pretty needy when uh, when you came along, as uh, Sir Jack Hayward was looking to sell. Well, I say sell, it was ten pounds he took personally. I think, I think he framed it somewhere, didn't he? But when you look back at your time at the club, nearly four years on after leaving, how do you reflect on how it went there? Um, first of all, it was ten pound, but it was actually thirty million pound. The club, the club had debt when I when I came in, so we had to pay the debt off. Um, and the thirty million pound was used to pay the debt and to give us a, uh, a war chest to, to um, invest in players, which we did do. And you know, two years later, we got promotion to the to the Premier League. Um, so, it, although the headline figure was ten pounds, it was actually thirty million and ten pounds. We did mention um, that in the intro, by the way. Don't worry, we did say that. Bit. <laughs> um, but how do I look back? Do you know? I look back at some of the the, the best highs I've ever had in my life, and some of the deepest lows I've ever had in my life. And, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, winning, winning the, um, the championship when we went up to, to the Premier League. As somebody who grew up supporting Liverpool and saw many, many highs, um, including place, things like Istanbul and everything, uh, there was nothing, nothing could top that year we won the, uh, the championship and uh, went up to the, to the Premier League. It was just in my, my in my football life that was that was the highlight of my um, of, of everything everything I've ever experienced. Um, and of course, the relegations were the low points. The, the two relegations, um, particularly, it was bad enough going from the Premier League, but going uh, out of the Championship, um, just everything seemed to conspire against us on that. And uh, but then again, another high when when we. Uh, won Division One with the with a record number of points, and uh, you know it was that was a great season. So I, I look back with very very mixed emotions, but uh, lots and lots of happy ones. Steve, um, it's Tim here. In my um, in my position in the press box, I'm often next next to the director's box, and it's been nice over the last few years to uh, to spot you. And you're hard to miss in in your wolf scarf in the director's box, um, <laughs> which is nice to see. And I just I just wondered, you know, do 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 you miss it at all? Yes, Tim. I, of course, I, I I miss it. There's there's no better feeling coming away. From, you know, I I live about an hour and a quarter away from from Molyneux, and um, it's a long old drive when you've lost. Uh, and, and sometimes driving back from places like Southampton or Norwich or um, uh, some far-reaching places where you, where, where you've where you've lost, and it's a long old drive coming back. Um, uh, but I, so I, I don't I don't miss that because it, it, when Wolves lost, it, I, you couldn't pick me up for two days. I was I was uh, uh, I, I really felt low. Um, but as I said, the highs um, were, were just the best, and uh, 
Um, I, I think when, when you're so involved with the club and you can't get more involved than, than actually owning it and uh, being chairman of it, it's, uh, it's like part of you, it's part, physically part of you. And so it, it's like anything else. If you feel pain when, when you get hit. And um, do I miss it? Um, I miss it. And, and I, I miss the highs and, and I don't miss the lows. I, I still get upset when Wolves lose, um, but, but I, because I haven't got to carry the can and, and make decisions based on, on, on form, I don't ha- carry the burden and I don't carry the, um, uh, the sort of two days of can't pick my chin up um, anymore. So I, don't, I absolutely don't miss that bit. That's not a surprise. I remember one year I um, hosted the end of season awards at a hotel in Wolverhampton and you came up to me afterwards and you said there was no microphones around. You were just speaking honestly as you saw it. And you said, I mean, everybody knew that you were a Liverpool fan and, and that's your background. And you came up to me and you said, I've had a heart transplant. I've had my heart completely stolen by Wolverhampton Wanderers and my love for this club knows no bounds. How did that affect you, the emotional side of it? I mean, that when you came in, it was a, presumably a business decision, you're a businessman, but then the emotional side of running a club really can take over. Well, you, Jack, you're quite right, but, but I, was, I, I was born and bred in Liverpool, so it's not quite understandable. I, I grew up a Liverpool fan. I could have been, my, my family were all Everton, so <clears throat> uh, Liverpool were the underdogs in those days. And, and funnily enough... Um, Wolves were were riding high. I think my first ever cup final as a, a kid could barely stand over the uh, over the table. But the uh, was was um, the Wolves nineteen sixty cup final, and that's the first one I can ever ever remember. And, and I was thinking, wow, if Liverpool could be as uh, um, as good as Wolves, and and I always from from that day onwards, and I think it was about six and something. Um, from that day onwards, I. Uh, um, I always looked for Wolves as my second team. So when the opportunity came along to to, to buy the club, um, it was an easy decision because I'd been approached by 14 other clubs following my uh, the purchase of Liverpool, which which uh, broke down on due diligence. But um, I'd been approached by, by 14 other clubs and um, I wasn't really interested in, in any of the others. But when the opportunity at Wolves came along, I thought I was interested because my heart was all already partly there, and um, as you quite rightly said, when once once I got in and got involved and got with the fans and got with the club and Sir Jack himself, who was very infectious, lovely, lovely, and very infectious man, he, his enthusiasm just just enveloped me in, and, and before you knew it, that was I was hook, line, and sinker wolves. And you talked about the decision making at the club. What, what were the hardest aspects of the decision making? Because you, as the owner, as the chairman, the buck stops with you, doesn't it? So hiring and firing of managers, for example, yeah. people can be recommended to you, but you're the one that has to make the decision and carry the can, if you like. Absolutely. Um, well, of course, when everything goes right, it's always the manager and the players. And when it goes wrong, it's always the chairman. So um, uh, I, 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 I hadn't quite appreciated that before I got involved, but uh, you, you very soon learn the lesson. Um it was very hard. Uh, some of the managers that we that we we had there. I mean, I was very fond of Mick, uh, Mick McCarthy. Um, a lot, you know, like liked him, liked him a lot as a as a man, and uh, and, and I respected him a lot as a manager. Um, so when we had to part company with Mick, it was it was something that that really 
you know, it, it affected me. I didn't, I didn't want to do it, but I, I felt it was the right time and arguably left it a bit too late. Um, you know, it does affect you. We're, we're all human after all. And, uh, and, and these things, particularly when you're fond of somebody, uh, as I am with Mick, and, you know, I still keep in touch with Mick. And we, we never, we, we never fell out or anything. Um, he's, he, I think he's a great guy, but those things do affect you. And then after the um, after the stability of Mick, what was it five five six years of mostly great success? And then a year later, Mick's gone, Solbacken's come and gone, Saunders has come and gone, and and you're down in League One. I mean, I can't imagine the what you must have been thinking at that time. You know, you'd put so much money and effort into it, and then and then the club was where it was. I mean, do, do you remember your kind of emotions of that summer? Yeah, and um, we didn't have the best of dressing rooms at the time either. I think it was be, because, we, it, listen, there's no question about it. There was there was mistakes made in manager, managerial appointments. Um, but I, I think when when uh, I met Kenny, I, I just felt instantly that from, from where we were in Division One, there was no better man on the planet. Uh, and, and he had completely the right attitude. Uh, he had a plan from, from, from the day we met. And he put his plan into operation, and it was a it was a great success. Um, so, you know, I think Kenny was a a wonderful appointment, and I was really sorry that uh, that Foson didn't give him a chance because I, I think he could have done a job. Um, he was, uh, <clears throat> but they, you know, they, they were determined to have him out. And uh, I like Kenny; did a great a great job for Wolves, and uh, I think of appointments that was probably the, probably the best one and in terms of the appointments that that maybe didn't work out with the, the soul back and perhaps regarding the style of play and, and the style of doing things and and dean saunders as well i mean do you look back and think i wish i'd taken different advice or do you say well well no actually i, I did my due diligence and i feel they were the right decisions at the time they just didn't work out well if you take stoller soul back in um i mean stoller's had tremendous success uh, in in Denmark before he came to us, he had success in uh, in Norway, and then he and he went to to Denmark. He's he's taken um, his club to the to the uh, Champions League quarterfinals twice, um, and uh, he 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 got silverware every year. He'd been a manager, so on on paper he was he was a great appointment. The the, the reality was that I don't think Stoller ever really bought into. Um, living in England, his, his, his wife and family never came across with him, which um, uh, when we interviewed, he, he said that they, he would bring them over. And then the reality is he, that, that didn't happen. And he was going back to to um, his family in Norway um, every other weekend. And he just never settled. And uh, and, and I think the, the, the team performance uh, suffered as a result. Um, he, I don't think he ever really bought into the uh, English culture, but on paper uh, and and, in, and his history is full of silverware. Mm. And Dean Saunders was, I think, a good friend of yours at the time. Was he somebody that you felt, knowing him as a person, you felt it was going to be a good decision to bring him in, bearing in mind you knew what he could offer as a character, but perhaps as a manager, it just didn't quite follow through. I, I didn't know Dean Saunders as a person. I'd, I'd sort of met him during the process of the uh, of the recruitment, and you know he'd, he'd come to Wrexham, which I only live about ten miles from Wrexham, and uh, uh, it was his first managerial appointment, and he'd done 
phenomenal job for them in in, in, in a very short space of time. And um, Jeff Moss, who owned Wrexham, said, oh, God, this guy's just unbelievable. And then he went to Doncaster Rovers. Um, and in his first season in Doncaster Rovers, um, he took them from pretty much obscurity to they were running away with the uh, with League One um, at, at the time, and we met him with Jez Moxie, and uh, uh, you know, and, and he, he came across as impressive, and and his track record had been phenomenal in the very short managerial time he'd, he'd been a, a manager, and uh, I, I felt that he could do a job for for Wolves, and. Um, it wasn't the right appointment. I don't want to say anything about Dean because he's a nice guy, but uh, it, was, it was just the wrong appointment. And, you know, I, I take that on the chin. It was my mistake. Steve, one of the, um, I don't think anyone, well, anyone could ever doubt your passion for the club. And I think one of the pictures which most defines that, which is a remarkable picture now, and it was very serious at the time, but I'm sure you can laugh looking back, is when you um, spoke to the referee, I think it was Mike Jones, after Mike that Bournemouth Jones, game. Yeah. Do you remember? I've got to ask you, Steve, I always wanted to know, what, what did you say to him? You can't, if this is going live, you can't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if anybody was at that game, it was the most appalling piece of refereeing yeah, I've ever ever experienced bad, but but actually, anti wolves, his decisions were shocking. You know, to, 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 I, I think I think there were two players sent after. Yeah, uh, they were. They, I, I, I can't remember the detail, but there was yellow cards everywhere, and they all seemed to be going in the wolves' directions and blatant penalties not being given. Um, and it, it, it was a, it was absolutely determined to make sure that Wolves got nothing from that game. You know that if had we got a point in that game, we'd have been in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, that was that game cost us the playoffs. We should have won it. We dominated the game. Um, we were the better side. And Mike Jones, uh, not Bournemouth, saw that uh, we we came out with nothing. So I was absolutely livid with him. It's hard enough being a fan, but when you've got finances on the line, especially when it comes to promotion, and you know what you could do with the club if you were in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but spending money doesn't always guarantee success. As you know, uh, my, my friend Steve Gibson's show was at Middlesbrough. I um, mean, Steve's poured tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds into Middlesbrough, and you know, look where they, where they were in the league, and then other clubs have, have, have managed things. Very well. I mean, Leicester City they 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 did very well and um, and and come up without spending the money. So it, it's it's getting the right management, getting the right manager, being lucky. I mean, some of the players that you sign, you 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 can do all the due diligence that you like, but if they get if they break a leg in the first game, then uh, there's a lot of luck involved. But uh, um, but there is a lot of uh, skill with it. And um, one of my last signings when I was there was Connor Cody I think the world of Connor he's, uh, he's a lovely guy but a, but a you know a great great player you know fellow scouser like myself and uh, um, a, a great great player is he gives 100% and uh, the, 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 as you know we had a couple of players in the dressing room at the time who um, I'm not going to name names but I'm sure we know who they are were big money signings and um, just didn't give the effort, didn't, and in fact, were turned out to be bad apples. And then, obviously, Steve, I remember, I'll never forget the day when the club announced that you that, that you were putting the club up for sale. In that, it was a Monday, wasn't it? In September, um, mm-hmm. 
Is that, was that something you've been thinking about for a while? Because I remember a lot of people linked it to what had happened at Preston a couple of days earlier. Um, but was that something that had been on, on your mind? And if, and if so, what made you come to that decision? I, th- I think it's about straws on camels' backs. Um, and Preston certainly was that straw, um, both before and after the game. It was separate incidents before and after the game. And at the time, uh, I'd, uh, I'd not long been going out with, with, with Sally, who's, who's now my wife. Um, and some of the things that were said were, were in front of her. And, and um, <clears throat> my, my now stepson, he wasn't at the time, who was four years old. And I thought, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exposing them to this. Um, you know, f- fine, have a, have a go at me uh, when I'm on my own or, <clears throat> uh, you know, with other directors, but not, not in front of uh, uh, somebody who's now, now my wife and, and, and a young child. Um, so I said, enough's enough. And that, that was the final, final straw. Uh, had I been thinking about selling it? Um, you know, you, you you talk about things. The the I think the Bournemouth that that Bournemouth game was the, was the season before that that the, the Mike Jones incident. Um, I, I I still feel bitter about that. The the um, uh, the way that, that one point would have made a made a, a difference to our season because we had the momentum as well at that time, um, and I think I think we had every chance of going up, um, but but you know the fans. Some fans uh, were everything was my fault. Whatever it was, it was all my fault. Um, now I've got big shoulders. I'm I, I'm not whinging about that. I'm uh, I, I come from the wrong side of Liverpool, so I, I've had plenty of uh, flack over my, my life. So it, that doesn't bother me. But it does bother me in front of uh, my my then girlfriend and and a four year old mm-hmm. child. Um, so I think those were the things that that flipped me over. Um, yeah, and, and also I'd, I'd had a good run, and I'd had at, at the time eight years at the club, and you know, was it time for, to give somebody else a shout? I think as events have shown, it probably was probably the right decision for the club, and uh, and I'm, nobody's more delighted than me at what's happened to Wolves, um, particularly over the last two or three seasons. Well, I mean, s- some clubs are up for sale for an awful long time, as 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 we know, before they can find the right the right buyer. But it was relatively quickly that Fosin came in. You know, within about nine or ten months. What what was it? I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight now. You know, with what they've done for the club. But what was it you saw in them to make you think that they were the right next custodians of of the club? Well, they they, they weren't the first ones to come along. There were there were plenty of others. Um, but we've all seen what happens to clubs who. Uh, Get purchased by people who haven't got the pockets deep enough to uh, to support it. I mean, Bolton Wanderers is a classic example, um, and I turned down a lot of interest in the club <clears throat> from people who I didn't think were the right custodians. And um, when Foston came along, I mean, first of all, that it seemed like that the uh, uh, the Chinese were taking over the Premier League because you know well, virtually all the clubs in the, in the Midlands are. And now Chinese owned, and and uh, and many others besides. Um, so, Fosun, and the, the, actually, they weren't even the first Chinese party that approaches. But again, the the first one was a consortium of God knows how many businessmen, and that, I don't think those those things ever work. You need somebody who's decision making and who's got deep pockets. And Fosun are a huge conglomerate. Um, came along and committed. To put him money in, into the club, 
Um, I I said that all I ever wanted for for the club, I knew I could I could have sold it for a lot more than I did, um, but what I wanted was the same thing that Jack did with me. I wanted somebody to come along and put the money into the club and take it forward. Um, and Jack quite rightly said to me when he sold the £10 that he wanted £30 million. The £30 million back then, which is which is 14 years ago, I think, um, was was a lot more than it is today. And, and, and for a championship club, was was one hell of a war chest. Um, Folsom agreed to put a hundred million pound in the club they've subsequently put a lot more than that in which i'm pleased to say um but, but i i would not have done that deal to for Fosen if they had not had legally committed to putting the money in um and and i didn't want any more for the club than i um uh than i paid for it um as a respect for sir jack I don't think people have, could have quite believed how they would have gone on from strength to strength with that decision to sell to Foson. But I just wonder, Steve, looking back at your time at the club, do you think now you've got an opportunity to right some wrongs perhaps or to put straight some misconceptions about you or about some of the decisions that were made at the time? Um, anything you'd like to say? Say Wolves fans always say X, Y and Z, but that's simply not true. That's not how it happened. Jackie, I can't go into 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 every little decision, but... Um... Uh, there were there were a lot of um, lot of untruths about what was said, as there always is with football. I mean, I I I, I happen to know a lot of people in at a high level of, of football, and I I see what's being what the fans often say or what's written in newspapers, which I know is a load of cobblers in in, in reality. And and it was always the same at the Wolves as well. It's not just Wolves; it's it's football because people speculate and people like to think that they they know. What's going on when when the, the truth is sometimes uh, somewhat different to that? What would you say were your favourite matches of your time at Wolves, Steve? Oh, Jackie, I, I think when we um, when we sort of clinched the um, uh, the championship, going up to the Premiership. But the one the one match that probably that sticks out more than others, um, well, actually two really. Uh, but the, the the one that I I, I, I still dine out on on today. Um, was um, when Manchester United came to us in the in the, in the Premier League, and um, they they were running away with the Premier League, and <clears throat> I think they were about to set the all time record of the amount of uh, undefeated run in the in the Premier League, and all they had to do was take a draw at Wolves, and I don't think you could even get the, any odds on a on a Wolves win that day, and for twenty minutes they absolutely battered us and. Uh, uh, scored one nil up, and I thought, "Oh my God, this is this is going to be terrible." And then, um, about uh, uh, ten minutes before half time, um, we we got a corner. I think it's the first time we've been in their half. Uh, we got a corner, and uh, uh, and straight from the corner, uh, uh, bang back in the back of the net was one one. And then, right on the stroke of uh, of um, half time. Um, we got another corner again. I think it was only the second time we've been in there and got, scored again, uh, made it 2-1 at half time. And um, the second half, it was, it was I, I literally don't think we crossed the halfway line, but we, the lads defended really, really well and actually limited them. They didn't have a shot in the second half, although it was played all in our half. Um, but we came away with a 2-1 win. And I just, I don't think I've ever been so elated at a football match. Uh, 
And then the other one was, um, uh, I think it was the Good Friday, the season we um, got promotion from Division One, and we were playing Rotherham at home. And I think the scoreline went something like this. We were absolutely battered them. Uh, although they were, they were quite feisty, and, but, but we were, I think we were 4-0 up with about 10 minutes to go. And then they, they scored and made it 4-1. Uh, and it was about seven minutes ago. I wasn't remotely worried. Then they made it 4-2. And then with about five, three or four minutes to go, they made it 4-3. And then about the, uh, I think it was the 90th minute, they scored again and made it 4-all. Um, I, what the hell is going on? And for about two or three minutes afterwards, they had us pinned back in our, in our own penalty area. And then... Uh, um, and then we broke away and made it 5-4. And then in about the 95th minute, we, we got scored again and made it 6-4. It was just one of the most exciting games I've ever been to in my life. It was, it was Sally, my, my wife, her first time at Wolves. She said, wow, is it like this every week? And of course, of course it is. <laughs> You know what, Steve? I was about to uh, I was about to give birth a couple of days later to my second child. I was actually in uh, I was in Sainsbury's in Cobham, and I was getting all the um, the texts and WhatsApps of what was going on with the game, and um, and I started to feel the kicks while I was in Sainsbury's as each goal <laughs> went in for and against. Honestly, I did, and I was like, oh, this is really painful. I thought, oh, it's just the baby kicking, you know, baby's due in a few days' time, what have you. And cut long story short, it was the onset of labour that game made me give birth that night prematurely <laughs> and so it meant that my little boy now has the same birthday as my little girl um, because he was supposed to come a few days later and he gate crashed her birthday party because of that crazy crazy match so uh, that's certainly a game of the decade oh, we, for me, we've I both think. got reasons to remember it then Jackie <laughs> yeah and so Sally I can't believe that's her first match she thought it was always like that it, yeah, she's, oh. wow is it always like this <laughs> oh you have to enjoy those games don't you because oh, football can just throw up anything yeah. can't it Steve, what what often maybe went unnoticed at the time um, was the amount of charity work you were doing in the in the local area in Wolverhampton, and I remember being at the opening of the of the youth zone, the way, and all that. Um, what what kind of spurred you on to to do so much work in in the in the area? Was 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 that a real sense of community that you kind of bought into at the time? Yeah, um, it goes back to the charitable work that we that we do all the time um, through the foundation and. Uh, and we, of course, being down in Wolverhampton, um, I, I wanted to replicate the, the work supporting charities in Wolverhampton that we do in um, in North Wales and, and Cheshire and Merseyside. Um, and we, we, at the time, I think we had the largest charitable foundation in the Premier League, uh, supporting local local charities. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say we shamed a lot of clubs into copying us. We were the first ones, I think, to come out with the Kicks program, and um, which, which you know gets kids off the streets in in some of the tough areas. And remember the first one we did, I think, was in Whitmore um, and, and you know we, we we were rolling these things out, but also supporting local charities. And then the, the youth zone, um, which later became known as the Way, uh, we were the we, 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 uh, I was the guy behind that. I, I, I put a couple of million pounds into into the funding of it. So it was all done locally, and and we worked very well with the city council at the time, and and a lot of lot of local businesses bought into it. And but I remember for 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 weeks and weeks and then 
raising trying to raise funds before every match by, by uh, hosting people for for dinners, trying to get them to buy into the concept of the way. And um, I really hope the people of Wolverhampton continue to support it. It's a great, great, great place for for youngsters somewhere to go and something to do and keeps them off the streets. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and I, it was it was great to to put the charitable work into Wolverhampton. It's it's you know as I say it's uh, it's not part of our remit anymore. Although we we still do support the way um, from time to time, but. Uh, um, Whilst I was part of the club, it was, in my, my view, a pleasure and a social responsibility that we should should support the disadvantaged people of the area. Well, it's a real positive legacy that you left for the club that perhaps not everybody's aware of. I know Tim wrote about it a fair bit at the time, but um, so it, it's good to remember that kind of work. And also, just briefly... Um, Steve, you'll remember some of the characters that you met during your time at Molyneux and, and somebody who, everybody who met her will remember, sadly no longer with us, Rachel Hayhoe Flint. She spoke very oh, highly yeah. of you at the time and just so, so sad she's no longer with us. You know, Rachel was a superstar. She was one of my all-time favourite people. Um, she was one of the nicest um, and yet most able people I've, I've ever met, had the pre- pleasure to meet in my life. It was a privilege to have known Rachel. What a lady. I, I never knew her in, in her cricketing days, but um, if she was anything like as formidable as a cricketer as she was as a as a person, and such a, such a wonderful human being, um, and a, a, a more diehard Wolves fan you could never find. Uh, so she was such a loss to me personally, but to the club, to the city. Uh, she was such a wonderful lady. She really was. Thank you so much. And thank you for those reflections. Really appreciate it. And um, I mean, you mentioned about what a difficult, um, difficult job it is being a club owner. I bet you're quite grateful at the moment. You don't have to be making these decisions uh, without any football going on for potentially months at a time. I mean, we're seeing all the time about clubs furloughing players and what have you. And just since we've been talking, Derby have now uh, furloughed their non-playing staff. It's been grabbing the headlines. Bit. I mean, where do you stand on that? Well, do you know, Jackie, it's a very difficult one. Um, my own view is that players should be, they've got contracts and, and, and they, they, they probably, there's probably no clauses in their contracts would take into account uh, a situation like we have at the moment because it could never have been envisaged. Um, so I would think most players in most clubs are contractually the clubs are contractually obliged to honor their contract um now is that morally right i'm not sure it is i think i think the players should be looking at the particularly the big <clears throat> the top players in the top top of the premier league and um in, in the premier league anybody in the premier league really uh, and, and be looking at themselves and saying you know what we should be we should voluntarily be giving some of our earnings and putting it towards you know, helping the NHS and helping the country at the minute, um, and that includes the the not just the uh, UK players but the overseas players as well. I mean, we're all this country has been good to us. Football has been good to them. Premier League's been good to them. The fans have been good to them. I think that there comes a time when you should give back, which is why I'm giving all the money that that I am at the moment to to charities. And and I think you know players should perhaps reflect on that. Um, as for the clubs themselves. You know, it's difficult because if you've got people who are normally employed in selling tickets and um, uh, 
cleaning stadiums after 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 matches and there are no tickets to sell and there are no matches to be played then what do you do with those people it's um uh i probably would agree with the clubs furloughing in a lot of the staff clearly people main the, the ground staff make, maintaining the pitches they can't be furloughed because the pitches need to be kept in good order and uh, uh etc but um you know what do you do with with somebody who cleans the stadium when the stadium hasn't been played in um what do you do with people selling weekly match tickets when there's no matches going on and uh, morally you can look at it and say you know should they be doing it but in practice what do they do should the tab be picked up by the club or the taxpayer though even the big clubs you know will be will be financially suffering with all of this um I'm sure their TV money has been suspended. Um, they've got contracts to play out, pay out, and uh, uh, and not all of them are making money anyway. There's there's, there's certainly plenty of uh, clubs in the Premier League who are not making money, and um, you know what do they do? Um, it's it, it's it's a, it's an easy one to criticise, but in, when you delve delve into it more, there's 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 a there's a big dilemma, and I, you know I, I can't pick one club out and say they should be doing this, they should be doing that. I think you've got to look at the the, um, the problem as a whole. And um, it's a massive problem. Nobody could have seen all this coming. Um, and uh, nobody could, even two months ago, nobody could have seen this coming. Um, so it's, it, it, is a, it is a huge dilemma. And I think we're writing the rules as we go along. Yeah, we certainly didn't see this coming. Nobody did, did they? Even uh, even just a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe the extent of this couldn't have been envisaged. Well, Steve, we are so grateful to you for coming on the Molly New View podcast. We really, really do appreciate your time and reflecting on that time at Wolves. I mean, a couple of promotions in there, a couple of relegations. Who'd be a, a football owner, hey? Who would do that? Uh, you did it and uh, and you're still living to tell the tale. So thank you so much for coming on and, and explaining about your time at Wolves and, um, and, and thank you for your time. Jackie, Tim, thank you. My pleasure. Tim, what are the main things that you pick out from that interview with Steve there? Uh, well, it was, very, it was very interesting. And like we were saying before we started, he's never really opened up on these things. So the things that really stuck out were his direct correlation between what happened at Preston, which... I mistakenly didn't mention in my question to him, but if people don't remember, um, it was it was confrontations with Wolf supporters, as he said there before and after the game. And it's never been directly linked that that was sort of the main reason, really, that he put the club up for sale. But that's what, certainly what he was suggesting there. Um, and very honest about Dean Saunders, you know, saying that that appointment was a mistake. I mean, I know it's it's obvious looking back, but you know, to hear him say it, I thought he was very honest. And I think um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for certain things. And Wolves had been at had spent one season in the top flight from 1984 to 2009 so 25 years one year in the top flight and it was under Steve Morgan that, that, that they spent three years in the top flight and I think all the credit tends to go to Mick McCarthy for that whereas really you look at what Foson and Nuno are doing now you know that's that credit is sort of equally shared between the two but when you look back to that era Morgan's contribution sort of gets forgotten about and I think that and uh, appointing Kenny Jackett which is a, an unbelievable appointment at, the, at that right time. 
and he built the North Bank for 18 million, the museum, and his unbelievable charity work in the city. You know, these are massive positives which get clouded, understandably, by what happened with the two successive relegations and the managerial appointments that, that he got wrong, Connor, Solbach and Saunders. So um, I understand that. His, his legacy will always be solid in, in many fans' eyes by what happened in those later years, but we should not forget the contribution that he made in terms of positives to the city to the club's infrastructure we didn't we didn't talk about the we could have talked about the academy there for half an hour i mean he he did unbelievable work in the academy spent 50 million and made it one of the best in the country so yes he gets stick for the for those appointments um which i understand but also we should remember the positives and also what i would also say was very interesting hearing him talk about mike jones the referee for the bournemouth game and it, that's just him in a nutshell. That's um, He's a very emotional man. He wears his heart on his sleeve. That can be a good thing. Um, he's emotional pull to the city, to spending a lot of money on the club. Um, but it could also, in that Bournemouth incident and also what we saw at Preston and sacking Mick McCarthy and all sorts of decisions, that emotion can be a bad thing as well. And going in the dressing room after the Liverpool game, you know, things like that. So he tells it how it is and wears his heart on his sleeve. And you... Um, you can't knock him for that and all the incredible charity work that he that he continues to do. Yeah, it's extraordinary stuff that he simply does not have to do. He could quite happily just focus on his own business interests and count his money, but no, instead he was he was just telling us that he, you know, he's got a group of people downstairs answering the phones from desperate charities who are about to go under if he doesn't give them money out of his pocket. And that is what he's currently doing today. So uh, we are incredibly grateful to him for coming on the podcast. Really interesting insight from Steve Morgan there. And I hope that you are a listener to The Athletic. You just need to go to theathletic.co.uk to subscribe if you're not. And you could be reading all of Tim's wonderful articles as well as everybody else's articles and listening to podcasts without any adverts, etc. What have you got coming up this week, Tim? I got a bit mushy and wrote a sort of a piece about what I miss about Wolves and because I'm missing it, Jackie. Oh, missing it. Missing those match days. So I've written a, written a bit of a piece about that, which hopefully fans can relate to. And I've interviewed a former Wolves manager um, over the weekend. He was a delight to speak to and very revealing about his time at the club. I won't say I won't say who he is just it's yet in case Stan he doesn't. Um... That's a shame. That'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not it's not Zenga because I did him last August. That was great fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, that probably online late this week. But if it's not, I don't want to say who it is just yet. But it'll be a really interesting read, I hope, for all you Wolves supporters, subscribers to The Athletic. It will. We still need the content, Tim. You need to keep churning it out for us. You need I'm to keep trying. filling the void where <laughs> actual football does not reside at the moment. But we'll keep talking about it every Tuesday morning on your podcast provider, wherever it may be. Thank you so much, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. It was a good and one. And we'll be it was. We'll be back with you next Tuesday morning on the Molly New View podcast from The Athletic. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.